It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Tim Ward. He is the co-author of a book entitled Pro-Truth, A Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics, released by John Hunt Publishing and Changemaker Books. Uh, in fact, uh, Tim is also a uh, the publisher of Changemaker Books. He's the co-owner of Intermedia Communications Training, Inc., and that's based in Washington, D.C., and uh, he works with global organizations there, helping them communicate better. Well, communication, Tim, uh, I wonder, after the inauguration yesterday, uh, do you think that people might have picked up the book <laughs> and, uh, and done a little bit of research on on how things might move forward to put some truth back into politics what what is your sense of what you saw uh, during the inauguration yeah absolutely Um, and david i was really heartened by what president joe biden said about Mm. truth he talked about the values in america and he mentioned truth and then he specifically said we must defend the truth and defeat the lies Mm. that's really significant for for me you know um when you think of American values, you probably think of freedom, you may think of uh, justice for all, you may think of equality, all being equal, aspirational. But truth doesn't usually come to the top of the list. Truth is sort of a, has been sort of an assumed value because you need hmm. truth to function in a democracy. People need to be able to talk about what's actually going on from a common shared reality. And what the Trump presidency did is it seriously eroded truth. Mm. It created post-truth presidency, created not only alternative facts, but an alternative universe in which Trump won the election, Mm. right? Mm. In which the coronavirus was going away. (laughs) So we've really felt what happens when truth gets eroded. So truth needs to be recognized and promoted as a value. And that's what I saw Biden doing on stage at the inauguration yesterday. Mm. Truth is a value we need to defend and lies are something we need to recognize and defeat. And uh, this is a wake-up call, not just for the United States, but for all countries, particularly those that have these strong um, populist and authoritarian movements in them. You know, to come back and see truth is essential to any free society. So, yeah, I was really heartened. <laughs> and you know when you when you watch that just from just from the onset of the appearances of what you saw if you went back and compared four years ago to what you saw yesterday and maybe a, the sense of, of feeling and I, and I also wanted to ask you about we'll get to this is is how what the sense is now that you feel in in the Washington area but um, appearances just from what you saw yesterday visually the people that were there, how they were interacting. How how did that come across to you? Excellent observation, David, because often uh, the things that aren't said but are shown communicate more loudly than Mm. the words themselves. Mm. And so seeing this incredible um, multiracial, multigenerational, the balance between men and women seen so dramatically in the first ever uh, female vice vice president, mm-hmm. also the first Asian uh, and first African-American vice vice president all wrapped in this one. Right. <laughs> amazing, amazing package. So the the 
this, the, the presence of the people on the screen mm. tell the story of where America is going. And if you contrast that by, you know, taking a look at Trump's cabinet, um, uh, the, the, the fact that he himself so often played to the sense of white nationalism, to uh, xenophobia, uh, even, white, even white supremacy. This was a powerful demonstration of a different America, a broader America, from my perspective as someone who's lived here for 30 years, a truer America. Mm. But let's not kid ourselves. This is also the America that many who followed Trump were, were afraid of, don't want. And, you know, we have to remember that a piece of Trump's rise to power was a backlash against Obama for those Americans for whom having a black man as president was not the country that they thought that they were living in. They thought they were living in a uh, a, a country in which white patriarchy still ruled. Biden has called for unity, but hey, that's still to be decided. There are a good number of people who do not see that as their vision of unity in in america Mm, mm. so the symbolism was powerful but it's not the end it's the beginning of a very tough talk america needs to have with itself over the next four years yeah you mentioned truth as as one of those values and that it's a wake-up call and and i'm wondering you know if the if the, the the truth is something that is going to be then accentuated or or focused on over the next four years, not only for the the presidency and the government, but all Americans. Uh, you know, taking. A, do you think that Americans are going to be looking at themselves, thinking about things a little more? I mean, we heard voices yesterday from the Republican side that uh, said that people that had voted for Trump uh, in this election and said, well, from what Biden had said, they were willing to give him a chance. Yeah, which is is excellent. Um, I I have to say I remember when Obama uh, came into into power. Now twelve years ago, a lot of Republicans said, "Oh yes, of course we'll work with you." And then they spent two years stonewalling him and blocking almost everything that they possibly could. So, mm. talk. Let's take them right. at their word and let's see whether their word turns into into actions. Right. And, you know, right off the get go, the uh, uh, the Senate has some very tough decisions to make. And mm-hmm. it looks like Mitch McConnell is already poised to block a lot of uh, cabinet appointments from being quickly and clearly made until he gets what he wants. Basically, mm-hmm. the right to continue a filibuster unless mm-hmm. there's a a majority of more than 60 votes in the Senate. This will kill much of Biden's agenda. So right mm. away, bam, mm. it's not just politics. It's usual. It's hard-nosed, hardball, high-stakes right. pol- politics. And yeah. let's face it, Mitch McConnell right. is pretty damn good at that. So uh, I'm heartened, but I'm not <laughs> trusting. Let <laughs> me put it that way. Um, you know, if we look at the men um, between Trump and Biden themselves, different men completely. And and what I mean by that is, you know, yesterday they focused on uh, Biden's upbringing. They went back to his original home, uh, you know, where he was born and raised. Uh, he himself spoke about his father and understanding the the, the, the concern about, you know, making your, your uh, mortgage payments during this time of COVID and, and things like that. Um, 
you know, paints a completely different picture from, of course, um, Trump's background and, and, and those kind of things. And, and I've heard it referred to as Biden being a bridge. You know, uh, do, do we agree with that? You know what that bridge of, of being able to tie the, the, the nation together, I guess. Yeah, um, I hope so. I think that's a really hopeful metaphor for Biden. And I think he himself sees himself as a bridge and would like to be that uh, bridge. Uh, I guess if we're going to use an, uh, a structural metaphor, you could say, as opposed to a fortress, <laughs> which would be the, the metaphor for Trump. Fortress is all the drawbridges up. Yes. <laughs> and um, I, I would love to see that metaphor be one that holds true and one that he holds for himself. Uh, especially bridging the many divides that there are in the United States. Mm. Uh, I, I think um, the, the challenge is how do, you, how do you bridge? How do you get people on board? How do you create the sense of community while at the same time following a very clear agenda? There's a clear agenda with the pandemic, right? Not only vaccines, but mask mandates, getting people to do the things that it takes to mm. keep, us, keep us safe. Where Trump politicized right down to wearing masks, right? Right, right. You know, so there's work to do there. Uh, you can't both be accommodating of people's views that masks are political and still fight the pandemic. You can't say, okay, we're going to wear masks every other day. That's not a compromise. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's <right>. ineffective. <laughs> Climate change. Biden took mm. some super strong measures, right? Oh, we yeah. joined the Paris Accords. Yep. Day, day one. Yep. There's a lot of people in this country who see climate change as a hoax. A lot who see it as against America's economic interests. There's, if you give ground there, then you actually give ground that no one can afford to, to lose. So these are going to be tough decisions. And in the, in the days and weeks ahead, I think we're going to see mm. how this actually plays out and how Biden will govern and how aggressively he will pursue the things that are in everybody's interest, but not everybody wants what's in their interest. Mm. You know, what do you do if you have a family member who's a raging alcoholic and out of control? You know, do you sit down and try to reason with them or do you do what's in their best interest, even if they don't want it? That to me is kind of where we are with that part of the American um, populace oh. that is so out of step with reality. Mm. Well, there's no question it's going to be tough. Uh, he's going to have have to deal with these things. And we knew that before, uh, you know, it was talked about uh, leading up to the election, of course, as well. And and what would happen after that, I guess we're just going to have to see what he, in fact, does uh, do in the coming days and weeks ahead. The other thing I heard yesterday, which I thought was interesting, was this this sense of loyalty. And I'm not sure if Biden may have mentioned it as well about about loyalty, but, you know, the reference of with Trump, loyalty was a one way thing, right? You were loyal to him. He didn't have to be loyal to you, but you certainly had to be loyal to him. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, it's worth remembering that loyalty is a conservative value mm. and very much in the American Republican Party, uh, that value is magnified and and and. Uh, in, in intensified. And it's not surprising because a good percentage of American conservatives are also uh, deeply and conservatively religious people as well. They're, they're mm. fundamentalists for whom their loyalty to their faith is a big part of their identity. So that's not surprising. What's sad is that those loyalties have been 
given to the person who led the party, that's understandable, but then showed himself unworthy of that loyalty. And yet they stayed mm-hmm. loyal to, to him. So this is something that I believe many evangelicals, many other conservative religious people are now going to have to deal with. They really um, saw Trump, and I, I heard it expressed like this, Trump is not a man of God, but he's God's man. <laughs> and they really did place their loyalty in Trump because they thought he was doing God's work. Wow. Um, conservative judges with the possibility of rolling back abortion, of course, being top on the list for those conservative evangelicals. Yeah. So there will be a reckoning for them. Was Trump actually the God's man in the way that they had visioned him? I believe we are going to see in the months to come an awful lot of ugliness right. show up as we start to see what, what has been covered up during the Trump presidency, people who worked in his administration, mm. legal cases that are going to be draw, uh, brought against him, and a return to those many, many lawsuits uh, and, and criminal cases where he's been accused of, of rape or sexual misconduct right. by a wide number of, right. of, of women. Uh, this is something which is going to be a reckoning akin to a religious reckoning, I believe, for a lot of evangelicals. Well, they're moving forward, of course, with impeachment um, and uh, all those things. But he was true to form even on his exit, wasn't he? Well, you know, uh, that is a really... Look, there's a large number of people who really believed right up until... Trump left, mm-hmm. that somehow he was going to fool everybody and stay president, <laughs> right? There was going to be this big uprising on Wednesday. Yeah. That's what a, people, a lot of QAnon believers mm. thought this was going to happen at the last hour. And indeed, QAnon, I don't know if you know this huge conspiracy theory group, they've split in two. Mm. Part of them are saying, oh my God, you mean it's not true? Where's the where's the day that was going to be yesterday? That was going to be the amazing day of the of the mm. miracle of the rising mm. up. Have we been conned all along? They're really questioning hmm. this whole ridiculous hmm. QAnon uh, conspiracy theory. Mm. The others are metastasizing into other ways of making it somehow true in right. some way that nobody's really understood. Right. But the 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 point is, who they thought Trump was isn't. He was not the shining hero who was somehow going to rescue them from the satanic pedophile cult of Democrats, right? This is what they were seriously believing. He was true to form, though, because like so many bullies, Trump is ultimately a coward. Hmm. He flunk away. He didn't even sit there for the peaceful transfer of power. He didn't even do the bare minimum of his duty that Mike Prince did. He flunk away. How how does T.S. Eliot put it? This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Mm, mm. If ever there was a presidency that ended with a whimper, it's this one. Yeah. And and even that relationship with uh, Pence, um, you know, he, he, you know, he, uh, Pence was this supporter and uh, I guess Trump was hoping that on January 6th, he was going to pull a rabbit out of the hat and, and, uh, you know, reverse things or or give him the Mm -hmm. presidency. And and then I understand that he then, um, you know, denounced Pence after that, when, when that didn't happen. Yes. And then there was, you know, I always, the one thing I questioned about when, and there was the the insurrection at the you know at the, the, the at the the um, the capital, and these people were entering. And I often wondered, 
you know, well, if Trump was saying we have to march there, why he wasn't leading it, first of all. And then the fact that he wasn't there. And I was wondering, how come we didn't hear from him until a couple of hours afterwards? I, I got this sense that he was waiting to see what was going to happen. You know, to see if he could, if they were going to take over the building and he could walk in and say, guess what, folks, I'm back. I think your supposition is quite, quite possibly the true one. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Anyway, you know, that uh, it's unfortunate, I guess, that that it rolled out the way it did. And let's hope that there is a sense of healing that can happen in the, the country and that things can get back to some sort of yeah. form of normalcy. Uh, the other thing I, I wanted to talk about was, you know, going back to appearances again for a moment. But before we get there, you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day seven days a week. You can also listen to us uh, on your favorite podcast and streaming sites as well. My guest is Tim Ward. We've had him on the show prior to the U.S. election, talking to him about his book uh, that he co-authored, Pro-Truth, A Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics. And uh, so it's a pleasure to have Tim back on the show because we wanted to talk to him about what his sense was and, and what his sense is that you're getting now south of the border now that this... I, I got a sense, Tim, that everyone breathed a you know a breath of release uh, you know yesterday, and um, and that you know even though there was there was no people uh, present, we heard about some of the uh, the senators wearing body armor. I understand uh, throughout mm. the day there was there was all the uh, the the um, the police and the the um, armed forces were, that were there on call if needed. Of course, there was the call that that there was going to be something going on in all the capitals uh, in every state. Um, what was that sense like for you uh, down there? I'll tell you, it was. Um, I, I felt anxious and nervous watching the whole ceremony. Anybody who watched it on TV will notice that there was glass that appeared to be bulletproof mm. glass that had mm. been uh, been been set up. Uh, but clearly, there were also vantage points that were higher than uh, than than that. Mm. So I was. Uh, I, I would say as nervous as I was watching Obama's mm. in. Inauguration. Um, mm. in, indeed, it came out just days before they did an, an extra round of checks on the National Guard that were brought mm. in to protect in the, uh, right. the event. And I think they found 15 right. people with ties to right-wing extremist groups yes. who were removed yes. from, the, from the event. That's so, right. you know, who knows the, the possible trajectories this could have gone, if not for the fact that some things were done really well mm. around this, uh, this event. So I don't think that, and I think that there are people out there, there is an angry domestic movement that could still mobilize itself towards domestic terrorism. There's no doubt about that. Uh, And we would be kidding ourselves to think that this is over as opposed to Hmm. keeping very, very alert for this. It's been amazing to see how many people have been identified, arrested, caught, who took part in the insurrection on January the 6th. This is great. And I think the fact that those people are being arrested and are being turned in often by their employers, by their friends, by their family members, is making the people who did it really think twice. This is not some fantasy game they're playing. Mm -hmm. There are real consequences to trying to rise up against a democratic government. 
Right. So, whew, yeah. I'm glad we've made it this far. Now, uh, when when you say that, you know that that this isn't over, the other thing that comes to mind, and I don't know if I'm overthinking all this stuff, but the fact that that Trump didn't concede that he didn't say he lost, you know, he he never did say that even in his final speech, he didn't uh, do this. I'm wondering if that's his his last card that he's going to say, oh, I, I never said I, you know, I, I never won um, in an attempt to try to somehow salvage uh, some run at politics again or at the presidency or who knows what. But, uh, you know, he, he, it seems to me that he pulls it and he looks at, he, he micro analyzes everything and, and he's good at that. He's very good at that. Well, um, y- yes, uh, he's, He's both good at that, and he also, I believe, is a man with serious delusions stemming from a very bad psych- psychosis of mm. of narcissism. I I read the uh, the biography of Trump by his niece, who's mm. who is a uh, uh, psychiatrist, mm-hmm. uh, who really sees him as an incredibly damaged human being, right. incapable of empathy, and incapable of really thinking of other people in the world at Mm. all. Mm. So everything revolves around him. And because people have said, have accommodated him through so much of his life, he's really grown accustomed to saying how he wants it to be and letting the chips fall uh, align with that. So I would imagine he does truly believe he won and was somehow cheated, Mm. but that's it. He won. Somehow I was cheated. There's been no, no evidence that has shown that, but he may still choose to believe that truly believe it, and then infect others with that erroneous belief as well. Um, I have to say, I'm really looking forward, after this interview and a few others, to not having to think about Trump for a while. (laughs) I'm going to take at least till Monday off and not think about Trump because it doesn't matter what he's thinking or what he's doing. Yeah, he's going to be in legal jeopardy. He'll be back in the news as he faces yeah, he faces the mm. consequences of his, I believe, many crimes that he's at least right. being accused of. But I no longer have to worry yes. about what he's tweeting because it right. could destabilize a nation yeah. or a world. Right. Well, I mean, he, you know, he still could. He still has, like you say, there's still followers. He still has followers that are out there. And but they uh, don't know how they Trump can't nation. follow him in the same way. Right? No, they can't true. follow him in the same way. It's uh, going to be, to me, it's really interesting um, Twitter and other social media that finally dropped him. Why did they wait so long? Hmm. What's their culpability for destabilizing democracy in the United States? And really, should decisions like this be left to the executives of a small group of companies, whether or not such a malignant force should have free reign to spread misinformation? Well, perhaps this is something that will be uh, discussed. You know, maybe all those areas uh, will be questioned uh, by the media, by government, uh, and uh, all all people south of the border. And as you mm-hmm. say, you know, all countries and and uh, people that have, are now looking at this in in hindsight. Uh, uh, you know, Tim, your your book. As I say, we spoke prior to the election. It was a completely different situation, and yeah. and um, and now we're moving forward. Um, but with your book, you know, the one of the things you you talk about in terms of, I guess, putting truth back in is that, and that is, you say, empower citizens. Yes. Yes, and um, so the 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 book offers that in three ways. Mm-hmm. First. It helps you protect yourself from 
the lies politicians tell or are tempted to tell by recognizing them, um, defanging them, and then pushing back Mm -hmm. so that you can turn a politician's lies into you better spreading the truth. Mm -hmm. Second, it helps you cleanse your social media bubble. Clean your bubble, I'd say. (laughs) Um, By following the advice in the pro-truth pledge, you can lessen not only your own vulnerability to misinformation, but lessen its spread within your own social media networks and and influence. And in Mm. doing that, you help your friends, your colleagues, uh, your your family become more conscious of misinformation and less inclined to spread it too. And then the third thing is if you really are ready to take on truth as the value, the book provides a pathway for engaging others in truth-promoting behaviors, for not doing things which can actually cause more harm than good, Mm. which often happens if you argue with people without having a deep relationship or a connection in values. You can often push people into becoming more entrenched in their misinformation if you're not careful. So how do you avoid that? And also how can you engage with the larger pro-truth movement and to have your value join with the shared value of thousands of others that are working to make our lives, our social media, uh, more reliable, something that we can trust rather than something that can deceive us and and harm us. One of the other things you mentioned also is about the media and uh, you know resisting the urge to repeat lies and base uh, baseless tweets and those kind of things. You know, uh, media of course is is that medium that wants to get your attention. They want to get you with a headline, and uh, that's how it has gone in the past, right? They they want to grab whatever they can say that will get you to read further or get you to to watch further or whatever it might be. Do you think that? the media is going to have to start looking at itself and saying, how are we going to start presenting news to people now? Yes. And um, the media failed us with, with Donald Trump. In fact, I remember shortly after Trump was elected, um, but before he'd taken power, Obama was speaking at the, uh, the, the, uh, the press uh, annual, annual dinner. And he looked around at them and he said, look what you've done. And he was not wrong. Mm. Trump's ability to make headlines that have fear and hatred and that are bullying is something that the media has not been able to resist. Even right right through this election, Trump's repeated claims about um, uh, uh, the fraudulent, uh, uh, about voter, voter fraud, the media repeated. They would repeat it and they would say erroneous claims. But simply mm. repeating the negative right. charge itself right. creates a space for it in our mind, makes it seem understandable, hence more plausible. Mm. And more people these days would think voter fraud is possible simply because they've heard so much about it. Yeah. That's called the illusory truth effect. We have a whole chapter on it on mm. our, in our book. The right. more often you hear something, the more true it may right. seem. And yeah. the media is culpable for repeating lies even when they attempt to debunk them. Right. It has a negative impact. So, Tim, as we as we look forward, um, one, what are your concerns? And two, what are your hopes? Huh. So my concern is that Biden will, in the name of unity, compromise too early and will mm. lose the momentum of these first two years. Mm. And I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a bunch of people right now. Uh, in in terms of climate change to really make sure that this agenda doesn't get derailed 
and that the momentum that's been building behind the scenes can really be put forward as the, the government's uh, agenda. There's some uh, amazing work that's been done in something called ACE, the Action for Climate Empowerment, mm. uh, that is really worth really worth following. And uh, I'm working with a group that has got a petition up for Kerry and has a good chance of meeting with uh, John Kerry and those and Biden's climate teams, that to me is really the most important thing because that is the biggest threat to the world today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that Biden um, canceled the Keystone Pipeline, Canadians are having a tough time with that. Talk about need to accept the truth. Sure. Yeah, But that's a real step in the good direction. So that's really yeah. number one yeah. for me. And number two is to find some way to move America past the deep wounds of slavery that have not been healed mm. and the deep divisions in society that are still there. And Trump, he just like opened all those wounds up right. until they were running sores. Yeah. So there is a lot of healing to, mm. to be done there on uh, both for African-Americans who've suffered so much for the past four years and other minor and other uh, minority groups. And for so many disaffected white people who blame their legitimate economic problems on the wrong people. Right. <laughs> really is on people like Trump mm. and the privileged mm. billionaire class yeah. that have made yeah. life harder on average Americans right. and squeezed them while taking more of the wealth. <laughs> yes. That is Tim Ward. He's the co-author of Pro-Truth, A Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics. And it's been a pleasure speaking with him on the show. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more American politics with Frank Sheck right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Hey, welcome back to Moment of Truth here on Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, as well as anywhere across the country on the Radio Player Canada app and also on your favorite streaming platforms. I'm your host, David Moses. It is a pleasure to welcome back to the show Frank Sheck. He is a film critic and political columnist with The Hollywood Reporter. Frank, how are you? Well, I'm okay now, David. Yeah, because, you know, last time we spoke, uh, you painted a picture, I must admit, that didn't sound all that positive. Yeah, and I was lowballing it because even I was not foreseeing an attempted coup. Hmm, yeah. But we do want to talk about the inauguration, and uh, which happened yesterday. But you mentioned the coup, and uh, you know I, I had mentioned this to our other guest Tim Ward about uh, what we saw that day, and the fact that uh, Trump really didn't speak up until a couple of hours after that whole insurrection thing had happened. A couple of things that came to mind during that whole thing was one, uh, Trump was saying you know, we should we should march. And I was wondering why he wasn't leading it. And secondly, the fact that he just didn't, we didn't hear from him until afterwards. And we saw that, and what came to mind was he was waiting to see what was going to happen. Were they going to take over the building and he could stroll in and say, guess what, guys, I'm back. Yeah, he was enjoying the show. I mean, mm. for him, it's all a show. It's all reality TV. Mm. He was back in the White House with um, probably with a bowl of popcorn in his hand watching the show, enjoying it greatly, criticizing, you know, the low-class nature of some of the uh, participants, but uh, apparently having a fine old time, according to all reports. Mm. And the the reason he did not go in answer to your earlier statement is because he's a physical coward. Now... Of course, the impeachment has move, is moving forward, and we now have a new president, uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris as vice president. 
Uh, I'm sure you watched the inauguration yesterday. What was your, let's start with appearances, uh, Frank. What, what, what were your sense of what you saw going on yesterday? I saw a return to normalcy. I saw dignity, respect, tradition, a return to norms. Uh, obviously, the fact that uh, the departing president was not there mm. was uh, a major departure from norms. He's the first one not to be there since Andrew Johnson, but that's appropriate because they were both impeached mm. and they were both disgraces to the presidency. Mm. It was overall a very uplifting day for many, many people. And uh, President Biden gave a um, terrific inaugural speech. It was not filled with high flights of poetry or oracle flourishes, but it sent exactly the right message. And I just hope people listen to it. You know, I heard... I heard the word, you know, when they were talking yesterday about both Trump and Biden. Uh, one of the things they mentioned about about Trump was loyalty. Loyalty was a one-way street with Trump. You were loyal to him, but he did not have to be loyal to you. Yeah, it's pretty much the same with mafia dons. <laughs> right. Um, as Biden was painted as a bridge... Uh, someone that could could bridge that, I guess, and bring the bring that unity back to the country. Do you, do you have that sense? They you know they looked went back to his hometown where he was born and raised, and and uh, you know that that little segment on on his hometown and and those kind of things. Um, you know the fact that he pointed out in his own speech about that he understands the average person. You know his own father that struggled with making mortgage payments and in, in during this time of of COVID. It, et cetera, et cetera. Is your sense that he brings that to the to to the presidency? Absolutely. You know, when Biden began his candidacy, it, w- it was widely derided. He was seen as being out of touch, uh, not progressive enough to suit the Democratic Party, too old. He had already had uh, mm. at least two failed presidential candidacies. Mm-hmm. He was- He was deemed irrelevant. Um, People were excited about either Bernie Sanders, which Mm. is ironic because he's no spring chicken, or, (laughs) you know, younger progressives like Pete Buttigieg, et cetera. Mm. But the reality is, as George Bush um, said yesterday to a congressman named James Clyburn, um, uh, Biden was really the only presidential candidate, and we now see, who really could have beaten Trump. Hmm. He offered exactly the reassuring tone and the stability that Americans uh, are desperately looking for. And when I say Americans, obviously, you know, there are 74 million people who voted for Trump. There's a smaller group of those who are rabidly Trump. Hmm. But I would say the majority of Americans, after four years of turmoil, struggle and God knows over 400,000 deaths, many of which, not all of which, but many of which were unnecessarily, you know, uh, are looking for someone at the helm who will guide us through more peaceful waters. Mm. Now, you're mentioning Biden. Yes, he is the, I understand, the oldest president at this point. But I also understand he was the youngest, uh, youngest member of parliament to, to sign up years ago. Uh, the, the youngest senator. Okay, the youngest senator. 
Yes, he, he has had a very long career. I mean, when he was <laughs> in the Senate, he was working with senators who had worked with Franklin Roosevelt and mm. the like. I mean, he's been around forever. He knows the terrain. Yeah. That is going to serve him very well now because mm. he has a very rocky road ahead of him. He's got a lot yeah. of work to do. He, he does, and that's, a, that's, a, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, that... that um tone you mentioned that he had uh, and that goes back to the experience you were just talking about I guess and and why he is maybe the right president for the right time um, you know he he really did have a, a wonderful tone in his speech it, it wasn't preachy it was seemed very down to earth and it seemed very real he's got a maturity and a wisdom now that has been forged not only by many years in politics mm. and decades of experience, right. but also by personal struggles yeah. and, and deep personal loss yes. that have instilled in him an empathy uh, that so many other politicians lack uh, and that mm. Donald Trump did not have one iota of. Yes. Now, mentioning that empathy and mentioning that, that loss, we're talking about, of course, his son. And I understand he made reference to his son saying that uh, it could have been, his son could have been standing there. Absolutely. He had great political aspirations for his son. And as is very well known, and the title of his book, mm. um, his son, when he was dying, um, made his father promise that he would continue the fight, that he would run for president. Biden was just emotionally unable to do so four years ago. He mm. was still deeply mourning. Mm. He, he did not have what it took to embark on a campaign then. But as he's mentioned publicly many times, what he's seen over the last four years, and particularly Charlottesville, galvanized him into, at his advanced age, getting back in the saddle, mm. and, uh, helping to save the country that he loves. Mm -hmm. And the team now, the team, and when I, when I say that, there's a couple of teams there we're talking about. We're talking about uh, Joe Biden with his wife, uh, Dr. Jill Biden, and, and uh, that team. And then, of course, uh, Kamala Harris as his, as his vice president. Um, what is your sense of, of how uh, that relationship? By all accounts, uh, they get along very well. A lot of people were surprised that he was able to overcome the sharp attacks that she made at him during the presidential debate mm. about supporting busing and everything else. But that just demonstrates um, that Biden, unlike Trump, uh, does not rule his life by grudges right. and revenge right. and is actually pragmatic enough to know uh, to pick the best person for the job. And I think with Kamala, he's got a great partner. Mm. Um, again, going back to what we saw yesterday, um, anything else stand out to you that, that uh, you know, sort of got you or that you, you had to write down or, or, or think about a couple of times? Well, obviously, the most dramatic element was the fact that Washington, D.C. was basically like the green zone right. overseas. Yeah. It was it was it was just a military fortress. And Biden, you know, after decades in politics and after wanting to be president 
for so many years, didn't get to enjoy what his predecessors did, including mm. Donald Trump, which is a Washington mall filled with hundreds of thousands of supporters, mm-hmm. people cheering, mm-hmm. people engaging in American, a great American tradition. Right. He had to do it under dramatically different circumstances. Now, yeah. obviously, uh, the pandemic also played a large part in that. Right. So there, there, were, there were two tragedies on display yesterday. There mm. were the tragedy of, of an empty, of virtually empty audience because of pandemic concerns and what happened a couple of weeks ago with the Capitol. Mm, mm-hmm. um, also, you know, that incredibly articulate, wonderful young poet laureate yeah. who delivered such a stirring address uh, yeah. at age, I think, 22, 22, 22. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Amanda uh, Gorman, right. Profoundly moving. Yes. And, you know, she looked great, too. I mean, she, yeah, you know, she had beautifully this beautiful yellow, uh, you know, jacket on. Uh, yeah, she looked great. Uh, yeah. Very, very well spoken. Uh, yeah, what a what a great uh, and the whole story behind that poem and how it got finished uh, with that. Uh, I believe the, the insurrection had something to do with that. And it was nice to see Garth Brooks perform. You know, uh, right. there's obviously no shortage of celebrities who are supporting the current administration. Yeah. Um, Unlike the last one, which basically had, you know, Ted Nugent and Kid Rock. <laughs> but, uh, you know, not, but it's nice to see a country Western singer who is beloved in red states um, perform for the Biden inauguration. That, that made a statement in and of itself. Yeah. And uh, you didn't say this directly, but I understand he, he is a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And again, that's important. Right. That is important. I mean, that that is uh, that was obviously the theme of the day, the theme of Biden's uh, address: unity. Right. And that's what we, this country desperately needs right now. There is certainly now a feeling that grown-ups are in charge again. <laughs> um, and of course, the fact that he immediately went back to the White House after the festivities and after the laying of the wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, et cetera, and signed, what was it, 15 executive orders mm. trying to undo right. the horrific damage that yes. Trump did. Um, that made a bold statement. And today he's going to be signing more uh, revolving around the COVID crisis. And news reports have coming out today that basically there was no plan in place left by the Trump administration to administer vaccines. As with so many things, uh, uh, the Biden people are going to be starting from square one. But at least we now know that actions are going to be driven by competence and not ideology and mm. just blind loyalty. He is really facing the biggest challenges to a president since Franklin Roosevelt. He's got so much on his plate. He's got so much to do. He still has to get almost all of his cabinet appointees mm. um, confirmed. Mm. Um, he had, you know, obviously the, the highest priorities are vaccination distribution and COVID relief. Mm. So he is apparently doing his best to try to work with Republicans so that things can be bipartisan. I've heard him described as being bipartisan curious because mm. there are plenty of things he could do without them. But the whole point of his message is unity. Yes. 
and he wants the Republicans to work with him. Some of them have indeed signaled a willingness to do that. There will still be obstructionism. God knows Mitch McConnell is not suddenly going to go right. all kumbaya. Right. But hopefully the gravity of the national crisis uh, and the shock and trauma inflicted on the country by the mm. last four years, and particularly the last few weeks, will precipitate some greater degree of cooperation. We'll see. Mm. Uh, so it sounds like there was a bit of a sigh of relief uh, yesterday. Oh, David, I sang in the shower this morning for the first time <laughs> in years. Okay, that's great. But the nation's collective blood pressure went down. Just not waking up every morning to 50 vicious tweets right. by Donald Trump. Mm is going to have is 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 a balm it's going to have a soothing effect on the country mm. um i'd like to talk a little bit about the fragility of democracy uh, that was raised and talked about and and what we might see uh transpiring over the next little while about how do you think that the united states is going to be you know looking at itself and and questioning uh more about how it moves forward and uh, and, and questioning that fragility of, of democracy. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. Frank Sheck is my guest, and he is a film critic and political columnist with The Hollywood Reporter. And it's a pleasure to have him back on the show. Democracy, uh, Frank, fragility of democracy, as uh, President Joe Biden pointed out. Yeah, well, I think this country really got a shockwave of a, of a lesson. Uh, we've always been very full of ourselves. You know, we set off the fireworks every July 4th. We learn about the founding fathers. We all go see the show Hamilton. We think we're great. The reality is everything that we thought about ourselves was tested over the last four years. And it made us realize that our system is very much dependent on norms and on the quality of the people inhabiting it. A lot of it is not written down. What mm. we thought were laws and, and thought were just rules really aren't. And mm. so I think what this has taught us is that we're going to have to start codifying certain things. Um, and just most recently, uh, the power of the president to issue pardons, for mm. instance. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's just one of uh, countless mm. things that we have to look at very hard and see about reforming and see about putting into law, mm. as, such as, for instance, certifying elections and not allowing, you know, rogue Congress people to just declare that elections are invalid. Yes. Uh, is there anything you want to elaborate further on uh, on the pardons? They were disgusting. Uh, you know, it, uh, there is a history of presidents issuing unsavory pardons. Bill Clinton, you know, issued, uh, I think, over 100 on his final day in office, including the financier Mark Rich and many others that were questionable. Uh, but 
that rogues gallery of Trump pardons, including Steve Bannon and the mm. ex-husband of Fox News personality Janine Pereiro mm. and people who'd committed all kinds of financial crimes and fraud mm. and rappers and, mm. you, you know, with gun crimes. It's just it, it was just a mockery of what should be, you know, an important presidential power. And it it just goes to show that that, too, is something that really needs to be reformed. So even though Trump is is gone, uh, impeachment is moving forward. What might you anticipate uh, we will be seeing coming out of this uh, and and, and actually seeing coming to light over the next uh, little while? Well, you know, impeachment is very much a question mark Um, at this point. There's no way to predict that. 17 Republicans would join Democrats Mm. in voting to convict Mm. Um, a lot of certainly the establishment Republican uh, would would love to have that happen because they would then immediately be able to vote to bar Donald Trump from ever holding public office again. Mm. Unlike the 67 votes that are needed for impeachment uh, conviction, only 51, only a bare majority is needed for that rule to take into effect. And Mm -hmm. I think Mitch McConnell would love that. I think he would love to get rid of Trump. He's clearly disgusted with him. Mm. Um, But the Republican Party has a real problem on their hands because they do have a huge base of people who are devoted to Trump and devoted to his message. And Trump has even offhandedly suggested that he may be interested in forming a new political party called the Patriot Party, Um, which would be a nightmare for Republicans because it would essentially Mm, squeeze their base in two. And and neither one would have enough of a majority to be Democrats ever again. Mm. Mm. Uh, So it's a real problem for them. They've got a real civil war on their hands. Democrats have problems with their moderates and progressives, and there will be in in battles about that. But nothing compared to the Republican, the problem that Republicans have, and not to mention the fact that right now the Republican Congress people includes, you know, numerous certified nut jobs, mm. including a freshman uh, congressman from Georgia who's a, you know, QAnon mm. fanatic. Mm. Uh, well, do you think there is a real uh, you're saying he's he's toying with that idea of forming this third party? He's toying with all sorts of ideas. Right. You know, uh, another one, obviously, was establishing his own cable TV network. Mm. Um, obviously, he had been flirting with the idea of running again. And, you know, he may very well right. still have that ability. I frankly don't believe he would have the stamina at this point to do it. Mm. He'll be 78 in uh, four years. And mm. unlike Joe Biden, uh, you know, this guy is not running up ramps and jogging right. across podium. Right. So, um, you know, it, it, it just remains to be seen. But mm. I, th- I think his primary motivations are going to be revenge, yes. money and power. Right. On the other hand, he's facing a lot of legal issues right. that uh, could very well put a, put a crimp in any plans he comes up with. Right. Okay, so let's turn to uh, Kamala Harris and what she might be bringing to the table. 
so far, Harris has no defined role as the vice presidency. She doesn't have like Bill Clinton assigned Hillary Clinton, not not as vice president, but he assigned her, you know, basically he put her in charge of health care reform. Hmm. Biden has declined to give Harris any specific mandate or any specific role. So the general feeling is that she's going to be re- uh, responsible for a whole lot of things. She may also have to be spending a lot of time in the Senate because there's a good possibility there'll be a lot of 50-50 ties she'll have to break. Mm. And looking back at what has happened over the last four years of truth being told and how the media handles stories, the media looking at itself and saying, are we are we do we need to change the way we are telling stories to people? Yes, I think the media has gone through quite a bit of soul searching in light of how they covered Donald Trump, in light of how they overly covered Hillary Clinton's emails four years ago, um, they bear a lot of responsibility for this. Hmm. Now, how much they'll reform is a question mark. I think certainly uh, the Biden administration is going to go through a you know, certain honeymoon period with the press who are basically suffering from post-traumatic stress at this point. Mm. You know, they gave their um, Jen Saski as new press secretary, gave her first press conference last night. And you could just feel the relief in the room mm. to not be yelled at, mm. lied to, insulted. Right. Uh, everything was respectful. Right. Questions were asked. Questions were answered. Some questions were dodged. Right. But that's you know, <laughs> far for the course. Right. Uh, it, it was just normal. And mm. that's the way it should be. Right. Um, you know, it is interesting. Last night, the there was a lavish star-studded inaugural mm-hmm. spectrum. That was, you know, Tom Hanks, America's Dad hosted it. Right. And it was covered on every major network in this country, ABC, right. CBS, NBC, uh, CNN, MSNBC, but not Fox or Fox News. Wow. So that immediately signifies they are, you know, the opposition network. Mm, yeah. That they could not even bring themselves to participate in what should be a day of national celebration mm. and, and, and an attempt at bringing people together of different political persuasions and unity. No, they're just sticking to their thing. Mm. They even hired uh, the top executive. I'm sorry, they fired the top executive. This just happened within the last day or two, who uh, had called Arizona for Biden on election night very early. It turned out to be a very accurate projection, but Trump was incensed about it. He called Rupert Murdoch. Murdoch didn't back down from it, but that executive who made that call has now been let go Hmm. because Murdoch is starting worried about the fact that Fox is losing audiences now that the rabid pro-Trump people are going to other more marginal outlets. Hmm. And, you know, he he wants to go all in and trying to preserve uh, his relationship with those people, those those viewers. Right. And Frank, looking beyond the borders of America, uh, President Biden said that they want to repair alliances and engage in the world again. What did that mean to you? You know, when Obama took office, uh, he was widely derided by conservatives and Republicans for going on what they uh, dismissively called as an apology tour. 
It was nothing of the sort. It was simply a tour where he admitted essential truths about America's relationship with the rest of the world. Mm. Uh, I actually now think Biden has to go on a legitimate apology tour and mm. just go to our allies, especially our European allies, but many, many others, and basically say, our bad, I'm back, America's back. <laughs> <laughs> things are going to get better. Mm. And and that's already beginning. I mean, just the fact that we've rejoined the World Health Organization right. and Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been, was one of Trump's chief um, whipping boys mm. obscenely during you know, the, the uh, height of the pandemic, right. is representing us today in that body. Um, right. You know, there, there are just so many, so many corrective things that need to be done. Mm. Frank, anything else we haven't touched on that you think is important to mention just before we finish up? Just that we have a long ways to go. There's a lot that needs to be done. And uh, I I just hope that um, people in Congress can get it together, not conform to their rigid ideological bents and try to compromise in a way that Congress used to be able to do. Biden is the best choice to make that happen. He has the best chance of making that happen, but it may be too much of a miracle even for him. That's Frank Sheck. He's a columnist with The Hollywood Reporter. It's a pleasure to have him back on the show talking about the inauguration and what might be coming forward from the United States with the new president, President Joe Biden. That is our show for today. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.